Welcome to episode 176 of the Fertility Podcast. I'm Natalie Silverman, your host. I hope you've had a good week. We had Mother's Day yesterday in the UK as this episode comes out to you on a Monday. And if that was a particularly difficult day, I'm not going to dwell on it too much. I just want to say I hope you're okay. I hope that you've kind of woken up. Today's another day. If you listen to this later and Mother's Day was, you know, a week or so ago, uh, um, a couple of months ago, and you're, or you're in a different country and Mother's Day happens at a completely different time. It's one of those days commercial day ultimately and yes it's wonderful to celebrate mothers if you have lost your mother if you're still trying to be a mother it's especially difficult and I just wanted to mention it because I know it's such a trigger in so many different ways so a kind of remote audio cuddle coming from me Now, what you're going to hear in this episode is a roundup from my time at the Fertility Show, which was the event that happened a week ago, mid-March, if you're listening chronologically, 2019, in the UK, in Manchester. And I hosted the Let's Talk Fertility stage, and I've captured some of the conversations that happened on the stage. The other thing that was going on alongside the seminars and the exhibition was Fertility Fest, which you'll know if you've listened to my content before. I've shared a lot of the kind of ins and outs of what Fertility Fest is all about I will be sharing more in April and May because I'm going to be at the event but there's a few little excerpts from it and I've kind of tried to weave everything together to give you an overview of the event that took place in Manchester and I'm going to talk you through different bits of what you're hearing to put them into context Um, but what I will say is at the end of this episode I'm going to give you um, details of how you can join my email list to stay up to date with what else I'm going to do with all the content that I recorded from the fertility show because we all need to have a little catch up at the show and find out what everybody's thoughts are of what we're going to do but for now just listen to the end and make sure you've kind of signed up so I can keep you informed of what's happening you can also follow me on my socials at fertility poddy on instagram and twitter it's been ace getting to meet more of you online the fertility podcast has a facebook page and I have my closed facebook group called talk fertility which again I'm getting more active in it's happening Finally. Now, before I start the overview of the fertility show, here's just a little note from my sponsors because this is coming to you as a regular podcast episode, and my sponsors are brilliant in supporting what I do and making this podcast happen. The Fertility Podcast is sponsored by Apricity, a virtual clinic of a new kind. Apricity offers first class fertility care as unique as you. Get support from your Apricity advisor seven days a week. Stay in the know with the app's guidance and reminders. Customise your journey at no extra cost. Apricity is fertility care your way. Find out more at apricity.life forward slash podcast. Another of my sponsors is International Andrology, who specialise in diagnosing and treating male infertility. Around 50% of infertility issues are male factor, and all too often, men aren't even evaluated at the start of a fertility journey which might result in unnecessary treatments, costs and disappointment. International Andrology is one of the few specialist clinics in the UK offering a holistic approach to increase your chances to conceive naturally or via the IVF route. As well as treating the underlying causes of male infertility, their doctors have some of the highest success rates in microsurgical sperm retrieval. So, if you're looking for a true specialist to assist you on your fertility journey, visit london-andrology.co.uk today and do mention the Fertility Podcast. Me again, 
So, we're going to start with an excerpt from one of the sessions I hosted called Fertility in the Workplace. It's something that I spoke about on a previous episode of the Fertility Podcast in an episode I was making for the Fertility Show. Hortense, who was on my panel, was a former guest. You can hear more of her story. Because what you're going to hear from this session is some of the questions that were actually asked from the audience, as well as some comments from a lady called Claire, who works in HR and has set herself up on Instagram as at IVF at work and is currently uh, running a little poll to get some more information about your experiences of IVF at work or asking about issues affecting your fertility at work. Have a listen. Do we have any questions? There is no stupid questions, I promise you. Even if we've talked about it already and you want to recap, feel free. So do, do you think, for example, that you have enough support at work at the moment or is it just not? W- would you happily tell your manager about it? Let's raise hands yes. if you feel comfortable telling work about having to go through treatment or even if you're struggling. You're happy. Well, that's good. That's well d- really well good. Well done, you guys. Yeah. Uh, okay, good. I think so. and, and what about feeling that you're going to be able to get time off? Do you know about any policies in place? You don't know. You've you asked ha- and there aren't any. I have told my manager that I'm going to be going through IVF and I've asked for whether there's any opportunity to have time, uh, like days off, and they said you'd have to take it as annual leave or unpaid leave if I don't have enough annual leave. Um, in terms of like scans and things, I do work shifts, so I can just kind of move a shift around, which is, which is okay. But just the, the whole idea of having to take annual leave when it feels like... It, it feels wrong. Be, yeah, 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 because it's, it's, it should be time stress-free yeah. for you to enjoy having, yeah. you know, not being at work and yeah. not time that you used to go to an appointment, right? So yeah. it's just, yeah. yeah. There's, there's another hard. lady there in the audience that said she had to take holiday. So my work, no, and they, are, they were fantastic. We, uh, from the accent, you can tell we moved <laughs> for it. You sound like a local. Uh, (laughs) so I work from home most of the time they were fantastic he did say to me if I got pregnant then I'd have to leave because I wouldn't be allowed to work from home if I got pregnant because of the IVF Uh, I'm just going to go around to our local HR representative here what's the response here? I think that's absolutely disgusting (laughs) sue them I think there's a, there's a family law solicitors there. You need yeah. to speak to them. Yeah. I'm not sure. I think that's absolutely disgusting. That, that is a very unsupportive employer, in my opinion. Probably. At the end of the Outrageous. day... I'll leave you guys to chat. Infertility yeah. is a disease. It's a medical condition. You shouldn't have to take annual leave to have medical treatment. And I think that's what employers absolutely need to understand. Yeah. And I think maybe... It's not a lifestyle choice. Maybe you can try and negotiate with your manager that actually on that basis, because you're going through scans, you're going through taking treatments, having prescriptions, etc. You have doctor's notes. You can maybe ask a clinic to give you a doctor's note and then you take it as a medical leave because sometimes companies also offer those more, more often than the, the IVF yeah. ones. So maybe try and negotiate somehow that in that way. Sorry, I was just saying you get. I, I've had loads of girls at work be pregnant. They get maternity leave. They get the yeah. appointments when they're pregnant, yeah. when they've conceived naturally. But when it comes to our first because appointment with the IVF clinic, related. yeah, it's different. Yeah. So where are we at if that's already kind of happening from an HR point of view? What power do you have to then try and get something changed? 
speaking from a HR perspective, I would see, I'd definitely seek some legal advice around that. I mean, you are entitled to your maternity pay. That's a legislation that we have in this country. Um, there is no legislation currently for paid time off at work. I think there's a lot no. of work going into actually yep. getting that done. Mm -hmm. But yes, it absolutely does. That's what I'm trying to campaign for as well. But in terms of just basic engagement and retention plans for corporate, for the corporate world, I think that, that absolutely stinks, to be honest. I, I'm absolutely, uh, sorry, I'm just, just... Well, I'll leave you guys to chat more, but that's what yeah. we want. We want to have these conversations. We want to give you a place to find out more about it. Right, now this is a clip from the final session of the first day talking about how it's okay to talk about fertility. And you'll hear me introduce the guests that I'm speaking to. And again, I will be following up more, uh, especially with Dr. Zoe Williams, who spoke in this session about her decision to potentially enter solo motherhood, which will be a, a, a later podcast episode but here you'll hear Dr Zoe Williams, Dr Larissa Corder and Dr Emma Kenny sharing their wisdom, sharing their experiences and it was a brilliant frank discussion that we had. Very excited about my glamorous panel for the for the end of the day. I'm glad I put a bit more lippy on. So let me introduce our wonderful panel. To my right, we have Dr. Zoe Williams, a GP and a TV. A, a GP, I mean, my GPs don't look anything like you, I have to say. <laughs> Zoe is a TV doctor, a physical activity expert and former gladiator. I just had to quiz about the gladiator fact. Emma Kenny, who is a psychologist, a resident psychologist on This Morning, also close to magazine columnist and very active on Channel Mum, as is Dr. You'd like to be a gladiator as well? Yeah. I'd love to be a gladiator. Dr. Larissa Corder to my left, who is a fertility expert consultant and also TV doctor on This Morning and involved in Channel Mum. And what we're going to be talking about is how it is okay to talk about fertility, which is something that I've been harping on about in my podcast anyway. But what I think is really interesting is these ladies are on mainstream TV and it's brilliant that the conversation is, is, is happening. And as a, as a starting point, I want to just gauge whether you feel there's been a shift in people becoming more brave talking about this. The items that are on this morning very much reflect sort of the wider media output because a lot of the items that are on this morning are very reactive to what's in the mainstream press or what's happening with celebrities out there or you know what's generally being talked about. So I think the fact that we are talking about it more this morning is probably a reflection of what's happening um, wider than this morning. Would you agree? Yeah. Completely agree. And also the other thing, every time we do phone-ins about it and, and phone-ins on general women's health, which I do with you, Zoe, as well, we get inundated with so many calls and it's really, really hard to necessarily make the choice of who you're going to answer. It always feels so awful and difficult because there are so many people who need our help and I think just the fact that we can offer people that access to a doctor and to talk to a doctor when most people can't necessarily afford to see a specialist and and you know to be able to just go and get that advice for whatever reason is really really important. So it's more women's health or is it more fertility? You're seeing an so increase I, in people asking more fertility yeah, so related fertility questions. Fertility is absolutely um, one of those simply because the of the limits to care and access to care that we see generally on the NHS in particular. So it's really important to give people that access to be able to just phone in and, and ask if they can't ask the question anywhere else. Hasn't the landscape of parenting changed a lot as well? I think that's why permission's been given because women have got careers now. So 
personally, as a woman who's had a career for a long time, sadly will have to continue because I'm never going to be able to retire. The reality is that as we get older, the problems around fertility become more obvious when you leave it late. And that means that I think we've got braver at thinking we're entitled to have babies even when we're, for example, over 40. So I think it's all of those things, but also recognition as women get older and louder and more able to express themselves, we talk about it more. Because I know, Emma, you know, in our conversations, you've said to me, ask me anything. And, and I think we're getting, like you say, braver about talking about this kind of thing. You, I, I know, have had... A, a range of challenges along the way, you, you, a number of miscarriages, yeah. you've had treatment and you're, you're thinking about having further treatment and if you don't mind me saying, how old are you? I'm 45. Well, I'm 46 today. <laughs> it's Sorry. It's Emma's birthday. birthday. There's a period of adaption required. <laughs> I'm 46 today. Yeah. So, but both my boys are clomid babies so I had fertility drugs for my first two children and instantly got pregnant on both of those occasions when I was younger. And then my marriage broke down. I met another husband who was good enough to want to create life with and had subsequent lots of miscarriages. And the reality is that I haven't kind of lost my longing to be a mother. But I'm at the point now where, as a bit of a barren, dried-up side of my womb that it might be that I look at donor eggs, which is a new thing for me. There's been a real psychological shift because I've had to kind of think about whether I'm okay with all of that. I think if anybody here has thought about having donor eggs, I think there is like a really mental discussion you have to have with yourself. And I think I'm just well, getting to that point now. There's a process of the fact that you're going to have to accept that one way of doing it has changed and this is now. That's right. I think Dr. Larissa kind of said to me a while ago, she just said to me, you know, this is going to be just so common in 20 years that the things that you worry about now, you won't worry about. And I guess it's right. It's a bit like, you know, years ago, if you had a child who maybe had a different idea of sexuality, you might have had an issue with society around it. But now it's completely commonplace. So maybe that's the next thing. Yeah. And I think family dynamics have changed so much. This is what we were talking about. But now it's become well, it's becoming more and more common for same-sex uh, couples to have children, uh, transgender people to have children, um, single women to have children. And I really genuinely do believe that in a couple of years' time, this will all become the norm. I, I think I once had a colleague who was telling me, one of his children approached him and said, you know, Dad, why, why don't we have a stepmom or stepdad? What's going on? You know, they... It's so they, normal. It's so normal, yeah. So um, I, I do think because of conversations that are starting now, because we're removing the stigma... And because people genuinely need this treatment, as you say, women are just getting older and older by the time they come and see us. And that's through no fault of their own. It's just, you know, socially, everything has changed for women. But biologically, nothing has, sadly, or not yet. Um. And you mentioned the solo motherhood route. And it's something, Zoe, that I know that we were chatting about before. And it's something that you you'd shared on your Instagram feed about a piece that was written in the mail talked about your egg freezing experience and then there was just a tremendous amount of comments from people saying thank you for talking about it but as a result you were talking about what you were then potentially going to be doing next going down the solo motherhood route and I think the fact that that is a conversation that is happening and that you know there's someone like you that people have seen on the telly and that they can they can relate to in that you're now sharing this intimate you know part of decision-making process that's going on how have you felt reading all the comments that were coming back yeah it was amazing uh, people say to me oh, you're so brave for sharing your fertility experiences publicly on instagram and that post was about me having frozen my eggs which larissa was 
my wonderful doctor. She's got lovely eggs. Oh, thank you. Safely frozen. On a scale of one to ten, it was a ten. It was a ten, it was a ten. But yeah, people say you're so brave, but actually, I don't recall any negative comments coming back from that. Just so much love and positivity and thanks for talking about it openly. And I don't see why... Why is, that, why is that so brave? Why is that so unusual? I mean, you know, we're now talking about mental health more openly. If you've got a broken foot, you can talk about it. So if you're on a fertility journey, why can we not talk about that? We should be able to. Now, you will know if you are active on Instagram in the TTC community, Kat Strawbridge, who is at Trying Years. Kat has a husband called Bob, Bob Strawbridge, who I have featured Bob's work in um, a previous episode where I was covering Fertility Fest because Bob has written this beautiful song, which you can hear, and it just seemed extremely poignant to put it around an upcoming conversation that you'll hear, which was with Robin Hadley as part of the Men Matter 2 session that we ran. Robin is a childless man and he gave some amazing insight into what that means to him, how it's affected his life and how he believes it affects men in general. Ooh, gonna find you now you're outside looking in lost in your confusion you really need to hide inside today it feels that all is broken and things just got out of hand Well the world, oh it just receded You're crying out, just a glimpse dry land You're not waving from your ocean You're always slightly out of time You have a hollow heart from dreaming too high A soul that's tired of crying But I'm down here with you And I'm holding out my heart So you We talked again yesterday a lot about empowerment and about finding out about this stuff and then making the changes and taking control, being empowering. And, and Robin, I want to talk about that diagnosis of, of the issue being male factor, how that then affects your mental health and that ability to, to deal with it from a pride point of view as a man. And the, the, I know you've done a lot of research and you talk a, a lot about it, but the experiences that, that you, you, you've had personally in because it does have a big impact on you and on your life and you've shared your findings of, of living a life childless so what what advice would you give to manage your way through this because I mean I know we were told really callously really that the problem was with my husband and my husband really retreated and found it exceptionally hard to deal with and to this day doesn't really like to talk about it I talk about it with the work I do with the podcast and he's you know, said so quite clearly that he supports what I do, but doesn't want to talk about it. And that's something that we work out together. But I think that is quite common, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, I'm an involuntary childless man. I always wanted to be a dad. 
I expected to be a dad, and I didn't become a dad. And I didn't become a dad for a whole range of reasons. It's my personality, how I relate to people. I was very shy, so there's a risk factor in forming relationships, so it's a bit slow on that element. There's, uh, uh, when I was in a relationship, it broke up, so the timing of those relationships, that didn't help as well. And there's the economics. We really want to be secure, to have a house, to have a job, to get those things in place before we reproduce. So all those timing and social effects really affect it. For men, how we're raised is really important. Are we raised not to be emotional? We're born as emotional beings, then we're socialized out of that. And maybe women are socialized into it. So it's a really good idea to imagine most men as having a concrete block just there. And that concrete block stops all that churning emotion coming out. And to develop roots around that is through education, through counseling, to really look at yourself, what were your expectations? And it's a normalized expectation that you're going to reproduce. And it's an extraordinary event, actually, reproduction. But it's become so normalized in society that it's taken as granted. It's only when that wish isn't granted that it really becomes a problem. For men, that not being able to communicate really well means everything's internalized and it's very difficult to express your feelings. Also, in society, it's very difficult for people to actually hear those things from a man. So when I said I'm an involuntary childless man and I was desperate to be a dad, there was a bit of a tension there because we're not used to hearing that from men. And in society, we don't really have the narratives to cope with that, whereas for women, there's quite a lot of narrative around that. A lot of the research around infertility and childlessness is around women and their experiences. For men, they're sort of put down to statistics. It's this, it's that, but it's not their personal experience. So for men, there's no narratives for them to draw on. And that's why it's important that research does get out there, actually hears people's views and puts it out there. This is my experience. And so in my 30s, I was desperate to be a dad, but I didn't have great social skills to find a partner. And that, I think, at my peak broodiness, as such, was around about 35. And in my research, that's what I found. And the reason for that is men don't want to be an old dad because they want to have that experience of playing football, going to the pub, taking their kids to university on the first day, that sort of thing. And they associate that with being fully functioning and also with age as a declining function. So there's really social scripts that we're trying to fulfill and challenging those through your own experience and not having any answers to draw on is very frustrating for men. It can lead to depression, anger, behaviours of being a younger man. So going out, drinking, being really, really social as a way to compensate of being outside yourself because being inside yourself is really not a great place to be because we're not educated or socialised to be there and to be easy with ourselves. We're socialised to be rewarded by goals outside ourselves, by going to work, by being great at football, or being great at whatever. Whereas for women, socially, quite often defined by motherhood, the motherhood mandate. But there's also a fatherhood mandate, it's just not really out there. It's below the radar. But you are judged if you don't become a father. Now that life's made you sore 
still shine around you But they mean nothing to you at all Cause you're not waving from your oars You're always slightly out of time You've a hollow heart from dreaming too hard And a soul that's tired of crying But I'm down here with you And I'm holding out my hand So you know, know That you're never alone Heartbreaking Scary Shocking Helplessness Frustration Challenging It never really occurred to me that my wife and I would have trouble conceiving didn't even cross our minds in the slightest. Having a child was, was the next logical step and, and natural. I didn't want to accept it at first. I felt like it was my fault. It hit me like a, a wrecking ball all at once, all the emotions all at once. Infertility is so emasculating, it's so demanding of brain time that it is totally, totally exhausting. It's made me more aware of how I feel about what's important to me. I think I tried to escape from it a little bit. I just, I suppose, buried my head in the sand and thought, it'll happen, it'll happen. I probably, like most men, didn't want any help, didn't want it, couldn't accept any help. And so I suppose you, as a man, you try and fix things, you support, I supported my wife, um, threw myself into work, um, probably didn't cope very well with it, just buried it down, I think. I can't think of one aspect of my life that's the same now as it was before the diagnosis. Men are as much part of this as well. Why don't we say something? Such a gorgeous song. It gives me goosebumps. And I know that that was a really emotional session when Bob was playing his music and, and talking about his experience. And if you are following um, Kat trying years on Instagram, Bob and Kat are now expecting their first child, which, again, Kat's been sharing is still kind of coming with its own trials and tribulations. You also heard an extract from a documentary that's currently in production called the easy bit which has been created by which has been created by Tom Webb showcasing the the male experience of going through treatment which that session with Robin that you heard previously he talked about emotions so well and i just thought it was again really important to include that excerpt which um Tom had shown as part of fertility fest it will be shown uh, during the festival in April and May. And I'm hoping that this is giving you an idea of some of the incredible work that people are producing about their experiences and highlighting that there are many of us going through this. So whatever you are feeling, there's probably somebody else feeling the same. So that as Bob's song says, you're never alone. Now I'm going to move on quite nicely to my next little clip for you. I mentioned Instagram before, which if you're not on and you're struggling and you're looking for maybe a social platform that you could be a part of and maybe not have to um, identify yourself, then there's a, a wonderful community there. Lots of people doing really innovative things. And 
The next person you're going to hear from is a lady called Alice Rose, who's on Instagram as This Is Alice Rose. Alice has been extremely active and um, really popular within the Instagram community with the work that she's doing around a campaign that she's created, which she's going to explain about now and about her involvement in Fertility Fest. My name is Alice Rose, and I'm a writer, a speaker, and fertility campaigner. And I've been here at Fertility Show and as part of Fertility Fest, who asked if I could come and talk about my campaign, which is Think What Not To Say. And I've made three videos now. And the first one was focusing on friends and family, trying to highlight the problem that we have with what people are going through and the disparity between what they hear from their friends and family. The next video was a Christmas seasonal take on Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas, which I rewrote the lyrics to. You know, really understanding that people are trying to help. The problem is they're trying to fix you and it's not actually their job to get you pregnant and fix the the situation. Their job is to be there and support you. And then the third video that I just released this week was focused on the professionals because this is where I'm really passionate about trying to give a little bit more voice to the patients that are going through this because I believe that we have to navigate the world saying things to us all the time while we're going through infertility which are not helpful and that are difficult and I believe that once you step through the walls of a GP surgery or a fertility clinic that should be the space where you don't have to worry about people saying things that are going to upset you or insensitivity or a lack of respect or compassion or empathy. So my latest video was focusing on mainly I looked at consultants and then I popped in a little receptionist comment at the end there because it's anyone in a patient facing role that needs to have a little bit more education around empathy and compassion and how to support people going through this experience. Okay so a few more clips to share with you. Next up a really fascinating session that we had about plan B after IVF talking about what to do if you've had failed treatments and you're trying to get your head around your other options and I will put in the show notes a link to all the sessions at the fertility show so you can kind of have a little look back at some of the guests that were speaking if you want to follow up with them more I'm trying to kind of give you all of their details so that you can um, keep tabs and and contact them if you've got more questions to ask you're going to hear an excerpt from the conversation that I had one of my guests was Kate Dobb who had childhood cancer so had to work with a surrogate and an egg donor which she explains about and also Linda Wilkinson who is a surrogate with Surrogacy UK about both of their emotions through the whole process. It was a fascinating conversation. When we started looking at surrogacy, and I knew, obviously, from a very early age, I didn't have my own eggs. So we were looking at donor eggs and thinking of going for an anonymous donor. I didn't expect my sister to offer to donate her eggs, and it never occurred to me to ask her. But during a conversation about going through the surrogacy route and having donor eggs, my sister just said to me on the phone, oh, you know, you can have my eggs if you want. And, you know, she said it just like that, as though it was nothing to her. So that's how we started. I said, well, you know, it's a massive decision. You have to really think about it. And she goes, oh, no, it'll be fine. And so I brought the subject to her about a month later. And she was still just as keen and said she'd been thinking about it. And, yes, it wasn't so much of a big deal from her side as I anticipated. 
Thank goodness. I mean, yeah. what an amazing thing. And Linda, then, when you're working then as a team, Kate, I know the specific language that is part of the whole process, and there are these more complex, maybe, backgrounds to the intended parents. I mean, that's quite hard then for you to not be emotionally involved. How do you manage that part of your involvement? Yeah, absolutely. You do get involved because those people are your friends. And in my case, Mary Carmen had been through so much I just knew what an amazing mum she would she would be and how loved and wanted the baby I was going to carry was going to be in Mary Carmen's case she had a heart condition which meant that she was she was unable to carry but I wanted her to experience as much of that pregnancy as she possibly could so for example she is originally from Mexico so speaks Spanish so I was able to do things like play her speaking in Spanish and uh, and baby's father um, speaking in Spanish to the bump, we're using some special things called belly birds because I wanted them to have that bond, you know, as early as possible. And f- for me, that was, it was almost more exciting than my own pregnancy because there are so many people involved and invested. So it just makes it really, really rewarding. But then you are appreciating that they've come through so much to get to this point. And I'll never forget when we went for our first transfer, we'd been in for the checks in the morning, we got a call from the clinic to say that one of the embryos hadn't survived the thaw. And to see my friend so crushed because they only had two embryos, to see how crushed she was at that time, it just made, spurred me on even more to want to help her because I just knew how much it meant to her. So I was determined that that I was going to make that a reality for them. And the final session of the day on Sunday was a conversation with the founders of Dr Fertility, Lucy Buckley and Kobe McArdle, and fertility consultant, nurse and coach, Kate Davis, talking about kind of getting your body pregnancy ready. And I was keen to get a bit of an idea about the importance of knowing what products you're buying to help you on your fertility quest, which we started to use because fertility journey gets such bad press, doesn't it? So quest was the favoured word. And it's really interesting to hear about the thoughts that Dr Fertility are putting in to the products that they're trying to educate you more about. So when it comes to preparing your body, which is a, a, a massive part of it, we've talked a lot today about the mind and the body. What advice would you start off giving from Dr. Fertility point of view and you share lots of kind of insight into going back to basics and just understanding your your, your cycle, don't you? We sort of wrote a five-step guide to sort of guide you through all the things you can do because you find there's a lot of things, people say, don't do this, don't do that, but we wanted to really focus on all the things you can do. So we started with looking at how you can both prepare your bodies. You want to be healthy anyway for you general life and thinking about healthy eating and exercise and so for women we recommend that you start thinking about it sort of at least at least three to six months before and you want to be thinking about doing positive things like taking your folic acid so the UK Department of Health recommend that you take 400 micrograms when you're trying to conceive and for the first 12 weeks of pregnancy but you want to really start thinking about that two to three months before because that's something really positive you can do and you want to make sure you've got the right level of folic acid in your bloodstream and then you've also got the supplements for men so the guidance isn't quite as clear-cut for guys so what we say is if you're looking for a supplement do your research but look at one that's formulated 
for guys who are trying to conceive. And then there's things like your, you want to think about your weight and there's exercise which can help with sort of stress management. Think about your alcohol intake and smoking. And then there's other things like your occupation, some occupations, especially people who drive a lot, you know, they're not as friendly for fertility. So if you are in that situation, it might be worth having a chat with your manager or thinking about some changes you can make. What do you mean about occupations where you drive a lot? The idea is that the scrotum wants to be kept a little bit cooler. Don't make her laugh when she said <laughs> scrotum, that's not <laughs> fair. You've got to talk about the underdog. Oh, oh my so God. <laughs> We've been sent a product to test called the underdog. And the idea behind the product is for guys who drive a lot in their occupation, it's kind of it's like... an ice pack for balls. It's an ice pack. <laughs> but, but, but it's on a serious matter. I don't think that we quite realise, guys, sorry if, I'm, if, if you're like, of course I do, but the impact of heat on... No, absolutely. It, important... It, it, treasures it's really important but at the moment that product is going through quality control <laughs> so it's not been signed off yet but we are looking I, at it can i add to that as well working in hot environments so bakers yeah. for yeah. example that's a really well-known problem chefs. men who work in yeah. chefs yeah. absolutely yeah. any hot environment any factory workers where you're always throughout the whole day you're in that really warm environment and also I've got an analogy and there is absolutely no scientific proof to this so I, I will just say this because it's just something that anecdotally I've seen men who have thick thighs and hot hands they have a problem with their sperm pretty much all the time so whenever I shake somebody's hand I'm checking. Have they got a hot hand? Go Have and got shake his hand. Eyes? The one man in the audience. Hey, now I'm joking. I'm 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 I shook his hand earlier. <laughs> Warm hands and thick thighs. Yeah. So you're uh, shaking the hands and then you're looking... I mean, what yeah. do you class as thick? Sorry, we've digressed. What, how thick well, is thick? I, I, I mean, in, in all honesty, there is no scientific evidence I'm only messing at all. with you. But, you know, men who are clearly overweight right. um, are going to have... Well, most likely going to have problems with their sperm. So that, that, you know, there is definitely scientific evidence there. Okay. Um, but, yeah, that is just an analogy. On a serious... Your hands were fine. <laughs> on, on a serious note, when it comes to products, I know that one thing that uh, Dr. Fertility Pride themselves on, as I tried to explain before, is the criteria they put the products through before they're listed on their site. And Lucy and Kobe were talking about the, the overwhelm when you're looking for these types of products online and the reason behind you doing what you do. And I think that's a really interesting thing just to highlight when it comes to... Because there are lots of products that can help you. So just yeah, explain a bit about what you're trying to put out there with, with the ones you choose. Yeah, I mean, we, we were really frustrated when we started Dr. Fertility that you'll search for products online and all sorts of random stuff comes up. I mean, we saw a herbal tampon that unblocked your fallopian tubes. Very uh, interesting, that which one. We were a bit doubtful They're about. expensive. <laughs> yeah. So we were kind of like, actually, there's no one single source of truth in terms of what is a good product versus a bad one. And also, not all products are, are right for everybody. So, for example, ovulation tests aren't right normally for people who have got very low LH levels or very high. So, for example, women with PCOS can have high levels of LH, so it won't see that surge when you're about to ovulate. But when you go on Amazon or Boots, that's not explained in a really clear and easy to understand way. And that's what we are really passionate about, is informing people about the right products for them and their situation. 
So one last thing before I give you the show notes and, and let you go, because this has been quite um, a journey. Ah, it's been quite an episode, hasn't it? I really hope that you've found hearing what was talked about at the Fertility Show a benefit. One of the things that we had was at the Q&A stage that I was hosting, we had this question box where we were inviting people to put their questions in. And um, we had one question that was put in and... I hadn't seen it, I hadn't had the chance to see it during the conversations, so I grabbed hold of it and I grabbed the fabulous Jane Stewart, who is the chair of the British Facility Society, and she'll explain more about herself in a moment. And she answered the question, and I'm really glad we found this question because a lot of us stress about exercise, which is something that was asked in this. So have a listen, and then stick with me. I'll give you all the show notes details at the end. So I'm Jane Stewart, I'm a consultant in reproductive medicine in Newcastle and chair of the British Fertility Society. At the Fertility Show there's been a question raised, um, it's a written question, to do with exercise and to do with both fertility I think and also miscarriage risk. So I've been asked to answer this question. A little bit of the preamble is that the female partner has a stressful job, exercise is a good release and of course it is for everybody, it's a really nice thing to be able to do. There's been a, a fertility problem, but primarily a, a problem with miscarriages. Her partner's running, training for a marathon. What's our opinion on running? So from an exercise point of view, exercise is always going to be good for us. Um, it's good for, indeed, body and soul, which is what they've suggested here. And if this lady finds that that de-stresses her from her work, then it's clearly a really important thing to do. If women exercise enough, people who are very lean... Um, who do a lot of exercise, the big athletes, ballerinas who are very lean, will sometimes switch off their menstrual cycles. So there's no doubt that high levels of exercise can have an impact on reproductive capacity. It comes from the hypothalamus, it affects the pituitary gland, it affects the way the ovaries are stimulated. So undoubtedly, even if women continue to ovulate, there may be an element of something going on with, with in the background from a fertility point of view, which is unmeasurable really. So my advice for people who are trying to be pregnant is, yes, by all means, exercise. You don't want to give up everything and sit on the couch forevermore. Um, it's a good thing to do for all sorts of reasons, well-being, health, everything else. But to perhaps modify that as if you were already pregnant. So if you're running a training programme, if you're speaking to people in the gym, you talk to them about modifying it as if you're already pregnant. And certainly when people are going through treatment, we give them that kind of advice. If you're somebody who's exercising so much that you don't have a cycle, then that needs to be addressed specifically because it's, there's all sorts of other things that go with that health-wise. But generally, in, in general terms. For this particular couple thinking about the miscarriage risk, they've had a, a really difficult time from the looks of it, and I'm really sad for that. The exercise won't be the key to that. The uterus is well protected, so as long as it's not really big, heavy exercise, it almost certainly won't be causing miscarriages and recurrent miscarriage. It's often unexplained miscarriage, it's really, really tricky, but it doesn't mean they don't have the chance of having a successful pregnancy. As long as that's been investigated and the major things excluded that can be excluded, then they retain a chance of getting there. So part of it is keeping the faith, but keeping sane at the same time and exercise as part of that for this couple, then, then that's absolutely fine to carry on but just be mindful of keeping it to a level that's sensible for pregnancy because there is a question about cycling there, there is well. a question there about cycling cycling similarly um low speed social thinking about giving up um no there's no reason why you can't cycle it's the same message really you want to keep fit you want to keep well you want to keep you sane if that helps then that's really important just don't do it to excess 
Yay, you made it. Well done for coming with me on that journey. That was two days of intense conversation that I've kind of tried to summarise to give you an overview if you weren't able to make it, if you're wondering about the kind of conversations that happen and if you're wondering about the kind of conversations that are taking place about fertility. If you've just found yourself trying to understand more about what's going on with you and, and feeling isolated, there are let me tell you, lots of brilliant people doing their utmost to help you work out what to do next, to work out who to speak to next, to give you expert advice, evidence-based advice. And please don't suffer in silence. If that's one thing that I can give you, having come on this little journey through this episode, is to know that a lot of us have walked the path ahead of you, which sounds cliche because I know I've said it before, but we have. Let me give you the show notes before I continue. They are for this episode, thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash two days, T-W-O-D-A-Y-S. Okay, go check them out to find out about the people that were in this episode and a link back to the Fertility Podcast. Okay, all of us involved are doing what we can to keep shouting about it. We need to do this together. Um, we are stronger together and every story matters. And these are all, again, brilliant hashtags that have been created in the TTC community. So if you do one thing today is just reach out a little bit and see if you can maybe find someone or some people who you can talk to and, and please don't be alone, whether it's on social media, whether it's in your family. And I know I've said this before, but I'm going to carry on saying it. Now, I said at the start of this episode that if you want to keep up to date with how you can hear more of the content that I've recorded from the Fertility Show to join my email list, if you just get yourself to the fertilitypodcast.com, which is where all my back catalogue of episodes are, there's a box there that you can put your details in. I'd love to get your details to keep you up to date because there's all this content that I'm getting invited to be a part of recording and I've got to share it somehow. And one of the things that I'm also trying to do is find out how best you want it. Do you want to listen to it? Do you want to watch little snippets? So I'm running a survey, which again is on my website, finding out whether you want to watch things, little films, little animations, or hear more stuff because it is overwhelming. You've heard a lot already there. That was part of the conversation that was happening over two days. There's even more obviously online. And I want to be a part of making it easier for you to get your head around it, which is what I try to do with these podcast episodes. And it's what I'm planning for the rest of the year to try and get nuggets of useful information into your head, either through your eyes or through your ear holes. Okay. Thank you as always for your support. And until the next time. <laughs>